0: We're very much the millionaire next door, even in our, in our neighborhood. And we're, we're really in the prototypical neighborhood that was described in that book to where everybody's driving Mercedes they're in, you know, five, six, $700,000 homes, a lot of attorneys, and I'm pretty sure, you know, they're all up to their uh, eyeballs in debt.
1: You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires will unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 90. On this show, we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their portfolio allocations. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes to help us gain new listeners and reach new millionaire interviewees. Last week on the show, we had Jeff from Raging Bull. We had a discussion about Jeff's background, stock trading, entrepreneurship, and driving his Honda Odyssey, despite being worth eight figures. So if you haven't heard that guest interview, go check that out. A really great story. Again, that's episode number 89. Before we get into the show, I just wanted to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital, for supporting the show. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investments. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identifies stabilized and value-add multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come with investing in real estate. They pride themselves on a high level of integrity and have experience in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has over 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, feel free to reach out to us at millionairesinveiled at gmail.com. And we'll jump on a call with you to discuss the opportunities and strategy. We have opportunities available now for both accredited and non-accredited investors throughout the country. If you'd like to be on the show as a millionaire interviewee or one close to millionaire status, please reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We think that each millionaire has something to add to the show and there are people interested in both one's story and investment allocation. On today's show, we have Mr. Hobo Millionaire. He has a net worth between 6 and $10 million. He is an entrepreneur and has been his whole life, but in his words, has only been a successful one the last 20 years. He owns a small software company and has a few Airbnb rentals, along with some money in the market. He also shares insights into his business, his investing mistakes, and his plans for this future. So without any delay, please help me welcome Mr. Hobo Millionaire.
2: Mr. Hobo Millionaire, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're doing now?
0: Yeah, sure. I am a lifelong entrepreneur, only a successful entrepreneur uh, during the last 20 years, but, but plugged away at it for a good 30. Currently running the site Mr. HoboMillionaire.com. Also have a software company. I'm also involved in real estate. Do some uh, rentals, uh, including three Airbnb rentals that, uh, that I'm doing with my son in Arkansas. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? My current net worth is somewhere around six million. It could be as much as ten, depending on how you value recurring revenue, um, which we can discuss in a little bit. I have a, a small niche software company, but it's it's around uh, it's around six million net worth.
2: And how is that broken up?
0: Um, let's see. So the business is the biggest part of it. That's around at least four million dollars in net worth. Um, also have a million dollars in stock, uh, which is, uh, all invested in VTI, which is a total stock market ETF. Uh, it's also known as BTSAX as a Vanguard mutual fund. And it's, uh, and that stock, well, I'll come back to that in a minute. So a million in stock, a million in real estate. That's part personal residence and then also, uh, for, for rental houses.
2: And you shared with us before the show that your personal residence is paid off. Do you want to just maybe shed some light on on that decision, how long maybe it took you to pay off and, and kind of why you decided to pay that off?
0: Sure. Well, I was, if I'm honest about it, I was partly affected by listening some to Dave Ramsey. I think he's really great in discussing stuff about getting out of debt. I'm not real sure about some of his investment stuff, but really, really fantastic advice on getting out of debt, and it really affected my mindset listening to his show and then hearing them talk about the paid-off house, and I'd never had a paid-off house, and I didn't necessarily ever came, you know, and I didn't come from money in any kind of way, and I just, you know, I got this this excitement, this idea about getting a paid-off house, and it happened pretty quickly once I focused on it. I did it in about... Uh, the, the, the house that we're in, we bought around 2013. And by the end of 2016, it was paid for. So about three years all in. The decision to do it was all about being, being completely debt free. It was the only debt, uh, that we had because we, we had gotten to the point to where we weren't carrying car notes or anything like that. Wanted to pay off the house, focused on it, knocked it out looking back, you know, hindsight's always 2020, the market ended up, you know, doing it was pretty strong from from uh, 2013 to 2016 up to now. Mathematically, you could make a lot of points that it wasn't it wasn't worth it. Um the money would have grown quite substantially I, I, running some quick quick math numbers like it was almost like twice that it would have grown what I what I paid into it so you, you could almost say I had a 50% loss but but there is to still Dave Ramsey's term financial peace that comes from being debt free without a doubt I enjoy not having to make a house payment and not uh just not worrying about that at all
3: yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Dave Ramsey because that's a big reason uh, of why we started this show is that, you know, occasionally we would both listen to it and, and we wish there would be a little bit more investing advice, right? Or some of these callers <laughs> in would, would kind of tell us, Hey, this is how I invest. Or, you know, he kind of does his millionaire theme hour, but theme hours, but you don't really get a lot of information from it, you know? So anyway, just a thought to add. So paying off your home in three years, that's really quick. How much is the house worth?
0: It's worth 600. You know, it could go as much as 650 or so, but but it's definitely a solid 600. We got into it, you know, this is 2013. We got into it for um, roughly 480, but we put about 50 to 75K of uh, upgrades into it to really customize it for it because we, my wife and I work out of the house. So since we're here (laughs) almost 24-7, we we put a lot into just customizing it to uh, to you know for for our enjoyment. So we we've probably got about five fifty into it in cost, and and it's worth about six hundred.
3: Gotcha. And I know just from talking to you before, it's be, it's because your income's been a little higher in these later years. But let's just back yeah. up a little bit, right? You're you're an entrepreneur and. I know you've had a lot of ups and downs. So maybe just take a few minutes and kind of talk us through your journey and, and, and what you tried, what didn't work, what worked and, and kind of your path to to where you are now.
0: OK, well, I'll probably end up jumping around a a, a little bit because there are it's, it's just a it's a ton of ups and downs. I I guess I'll start to an extent when I was in my 20s because I'd gotten out of college. And early in my 20s I had always had this desire to have a software company. I was I used to read this magazine called Database Advisor. All the ads that were in it for were with these smaller software companies and I used to just dream in my 20s of being one of these companies with with uh just to have enough money to run an ad and be one of these small software companies. So I plugged away at doing consulting and stuff like that in my 20s while while I worked which is a whole nother part of this. I'll I'll try to remember to loop back to my jobs and, and how all this worked. But in terms of trying to create a software company, my first attempt at it was in my mid to late 20s from 92 to 95. I worked three years building uh, help desk software, which are pretty popular these days with ticketing and, and all of that. My my background came from the mainframe environments and there were help desk systems in the mainframe. So when PC started becoming the thing and then obviously the internet hits just prior to 2000, anything that was on mainframe was eventually going to, going to come over into the PC world and then onto the internet. So, uh, my first product that I worked on was, was a help desk software product. Long story short, I had a friend who knew someone who had just sold his company for 10 million dollars. He got the guy to uh invest 150k in this business. I was all excited about it. I had an investor. I was going to be able to go to a trade show. I was really good at scrimping by and bootstrapping things and doing things cheaply, but this this investor wanted me to spend this money. So he wanted me to go to trade shows. He wanted to you know, pay for an expensive booth. He wanted me to have the right phone equipment, so long story short, he had me blow through this one hundred and fifty k pretty quick, and we did go to the trade show, got tons of leads i should I should mention when I got this investment, I quit my job, which at the time I was working for Sprint. We did this trade show, we got tons of leads from the trade show, but what we were selling was a long sales process, and long story short. When we didn't start having sales immediately, this investor that I had found shut everything down. So we like started and finished within three months. Now, this was one of my first lessons, uh, that I learned with creating a company, working with investors and all that. And that is, you know, the big one is be careful of who you take money from, be careful of how much you negotiate power wise. Cause I actually gave him a large percentage of this company to where he'd have control it was something that he wanted and i had to deal with him to where if this this may sound silly to some but i had a deal with him to where if i reached a million in sales within two years i could get back like 75 percent of it and then i could run it and i believed so much in myself when i was selling like um, i was like i was okay with that it i never i never it never once dawned on me that Well, he has control so he can shut everything down if he's not happy. Like I was just in my young 20s. I just never thought about that. But to reiterate, I spent three years of coding this software, quit my job. Within three months, it was over. And I actually had to go back to Sprint and ask for my job back. They didn't know what I was doing. You know, I left in a nice way. But like that was a that was a really down time of trying to start a, a a software company and then and then it uh it it flopping past that so that was uh like i said that was around 95 or so one of the things this is a really long story so if if you want me to stop at any time let me know but th- this 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 is uh th- this is good stuff and and explains a lot of my ups and downs so it's mid 90s the software company gotten shut down But one of the tools that I used for for making this help desk app was a reporting software. And without getting too specific, let's just say it was Excel, but it was it was reporting software. And I started doing consulting in in this reporting software. Then um, I did two years of that. I would work my full-time job and then go do part-time work doing some of this, uh, this reporting stuff. So come 1997, the internet, you know, was starting to, to become the internet. And, um, I registered some domains related to, to this software product, put out some, just some pages to do consulting and training in it. I'd become really good at it. And I put consulting requests and believe it or not, I started getting random requests from all over the U.S. to do consulting and training on the software. And I put out a, a crazy rate at the time I was I was doing consulting for twelve hundred dollars a day and that was for an eight hour work. But I would pay for all the travel so they didn't have to pay for anything. I travel anywhere in the country. Twelve hundred dollars a day. And most of these places were doing, you know, a week, two weeks, stuff like that. So I did that for a little while, earned some money, was trying to pay off some debt at the time. And I was, oh, I, I should say I was able to travel around the, the, the country doing this because I worked a my full time job was a weekend shift, night shift job. So I worked Friday, Saturday and Sunday night towards the end. I'm skipping over a couple of things, but towards the end, I was working for Fidelity Investments. And so on Friday, Saturday and Sunday night, I would I would work there. And this is in the uh Dallas, Texas area. And Monday through Thursday I had time to do consulting and even some on, on Friday. And I literally traveled around the country doing consulting and training, saving my money and flying back into town on, on Fridays and sometimes going straight to work. So I just working crazy amount of hours trying to do something with a business one one way or the other. And then um that gets us to May of 2000 was the last time that I was employed by anyone. That was when I gave my two week notice at Fidelity, and I haven't been employed with anyone since. Yeah. Let me just ask a
3: follow up question for you. Yeah. So initially, right on, the, on these first couple after you've been doing it for a few years, what kept you going? Why didn't you just say, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe it's not for me to start my own software company. Maybe I should just go work for a software company instead. What, what was kind of the drive that you wanted to be so entrepreneurial?
0: Oh man, two things drove me for for sure and actually and still do, but two things that drove me was my father was employed his entire life. I saw him work really hard for companies and the best job he ever had, that company ended up going bankrupt and he lost a lot of his retirement and but my dad was a a workhorse. He's my, you know, he's my hero. I tell my son all the time that you know th- even this crazy story I'm telling you about how much I'm working like I still feel like my dad could outwork me so he had such a strong work ethic he gave everything to his companies that drove me combined with once I did work for companies I was a I was a really good employee but I did not enjoy the corporate politics it just it made me bonkers and you know we I'm a big believer that the world's not fair but I did not like the idea that things weren't fair on a job and that if you outwork somebody that someone else might still get promoted ahead of you that kind of corporate stuff just made me bonkers so i was just always driven i want to do my own thing i want to do my own thing i want to do my own thing and and that that drove me and i and i should mention my father when i when i say he's he he worked a lot he was not good with money he was still working at the age of 68 got cancer and died very quickly and th- this happened back in 2013 um so he was still working and when i say still working you know 50 hours a, a week and but but he never gave up and all the working that i'm doing it always still felt easier than what my dad went through. You know, he he got up to an alarm clock from the age of twenty to you know to sixty eight. And prior to twenty, he was he was a paratrooper in the Vietnam War. So he was he was in the in the hundred and first Airborne. So nothing that I do, even to this day, I don't feel like I. I still work as hard or did as much as my, my father did. I, I feel like I've still got an easier life than what he did. So, and you know, from a psychology standpoint, that changes your perspective. So even with all my hard times, I, you know, I wasn't crying when all this stuff went bad. I wasn't happy, but I'm a pretty upbeat person most of the time. And I just keep plugging away, but I plug away because I just. I constantly think of my. I still think of my father and um, just how hard he worked. And and uh, uh, I didn't inherit money from my father, but I did inherit a ridiculously hard uh, work ethic. Not the smartest guy, but but and I'm referring to me, not my father. But but definitely work hard. Well,
3: props to both of you guys. You know, I think it's hard sometimes to hang in there, whether it's challenges in life or in business or careers or you know whatever it may be. We all have them, obviously, but. Sometimes it's hard to hang in there and and, and just keep going. Right. So, yeah, first of all, props on that. And then second of all, obviously, your dad sounds like a tremendous guy and taught you how to work. Where did you kind of learn some of these financial things? Was that kind of just trial and error when you started doing it on your own?
0: Well, the financial stuff came about in if you're referring to. Uh, I guess I'll just ask: Are you referring to like in terms of acquiring wealth, and then
3: what? Yeah, just re- real estate and investing and and asset yeah. allocation and what to invest in.
0: Yeah, so that all started around two thousand and twelve. It's not like I've been saving for you know all my life acquiring assets. I did. I mean, I I did save earlier in my life when I was employed by the various companies and Fidelity Company. Fidelity Investments was a you know, a fantastic company to to be uh, employed by in terms of benefits. So I was familiar with 401ks and they had great matching and and all of that stuff. But I got divorced in uh, around the year 2000, mid 2000. And without getting too much into it, I walked away from all assets, took all debt. And I just wanted full. My company wasn't worth much at the time. Uh, but I just, I didn't want any strings attached. I wanted it to be all mine. So I left all assets, took all debt, and we divorced. So all of that to say between 2000 and really 2012, all my time and effort and energy was still focused on building a company and surviving. Re- really, I can't emphasize a survive uh, enough because that, that's all I was doing between that time and around 2012. Long story short, that was the first time my software company crossed around 200 K in sales. And that's when I knew, all right, I got to start doing stuff right. I'm making enough money. I have no excuse not to start saving again and really start looking at money. And I got with a, actually, I got with two C, two CPAs, one to do my bookkeeping and one to help me with taxes. And my tax CPA recommended at, at that point to do an SEP which enables you to start saving 25% of your business income tax-free. And uh, so that's when I started saving. And then in terms of how I learned and acquired knowledge after that, I really just buried myself in 2012. I started reading. I don't even remember what blog I read first or, or any of that stuff, but I just started reading about saving money, investing money, I had a friend who who did some stock investing. So I met with him a couple of times just just to get some basic feedback. But all the knowledge came from just reading and reading and getting books and Boglehead forums and and John Bogle and finding out about Vanguard and just reading and then reading his little book of investing. And, you know, just I, I went all in. And then from that time of 2012 until now, my software company has been growing. I had more and more money that came from that. Just kept investing that in, into these stocks and, and stuff that I'd studied up on and then got into, to, to real estate. I, I'd always wanted to get a little bit into that. And my son actually had an idea of doing some Airbnbs in, in Arkansas that catered to mountain bikers. So. He moved there to run it, and then we we both invested because he had some savings. He sold his house here and took money took money from that and invested it with me. And hmm. um, we got we got three more houses there, and that's that's doing real well. And and what we're fo- focusing on the on the mountain bikers there. And
3: is that what he does full time now? Is is works with those houses.
0: He works on the house thing full time and then part time he works. He does do some stuff for my software company, but he's working about, you know, I don't know the exact number, but he's working like at least 60 hours a week between doing three Airbnbs because he does all the uh, cleaning and maintenance and mowing. And Mm. it's not some people get into real estate and outsource everything. That's not what we're doing. We're very focused on doing a lot of it ourselves. Some of it we're doing ourselves also just from a, It's partly from a work ethic standpoint. It's also from learning because I believe real estate is something you need to get in. And for sure, when you're first learning it, you need to get in and get your hands dirty, work on some rehabs, paint some walls inside, outside, learn how to caulk, replace a toilet, do some basic plumbing. I just think you need to learn that. I think to make really super big money in real estate you need to you do need to figure out how to outsource a lot of that as you go, but I think right. you need a foundation of knowledge of learning all those basics and there's nothing like rehabbing a house or two and being super involved in that with with learning real estate
3: sure are those houses is that three of them is that right
0: it's yeah we we uh, we have one rental house that just you know is a normal rental here in Texas. And then we have three in Arkansas that are uh, all, all three are Airbnbs.
3: Gotcha. And are those paid off?
0: No, no. But we they're 50 percent paid off gotcha. e- each. Yeah, that that's we we have about uh, those three houses. We have roughly three hundred thousand in equity.
3: Awesome. And then talk us through it, I guess, or for somebody who may, maybe isn't familiar. How many how many nights a year do you rent those out and, and what do you charge?
0: Oh gosh, the Airbnbs are rented year round. It slows down a little bit in December, January, because that's when the, uh, it gets a little colder in Arkansas. It's not a ton of ice and snow, but if there's going to be ice and snow, it's around those two months. But other than that, they, they have tons of mountain biking and my software company focusing on a niche market. I really think there's a lot of the, you know, there's a lot to be said for businesses that focus on niches because then you can you know you can offer stuff that people don't offer and in Arkansas we're focused on mountain bikers because that's becoming an industry there in, in Arkansas and when i say focus on mountain bikers i mean we have bike wash stations at at the houses we in the garages we have uh, repair stations complete with, I don't know what you call it, but grips to where you can hang up your bike and work on it there on a workbench. And we have tools and grease and ways to clean them and, um, fix flats, all that kind of stuff. So we, we really cater to mountain bikers with that kind of stuff. And then we, since my son lives there and works them so closely, we also offer uh, free emergency pickup if you have a flat tire and need need us to come pick you up on the trail. We can do stuff like that. So really, really focusing on offering stuff in an Airbnb that no one else can offer or no one else wants to.
2: That's awesome. I bet my buddies were probably renting from you a few months ago when they went up there.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. This is this is all mainly in northwest Arkansas around the Bentonville area.
2: Yep, yep. I've heard it's amazing mountain bike. I haven't been myself yet, but hope to make it up there someday. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of like ROI, what what do you end up getting out of an Airbnb on average? Are you looking at like a 10% cap rate or 12% cap rate is in or is it end up being a little bit better than that?
0: It's going to end up being a little bit better than that. I don't... Honestly, I'm not super hyper... I'm probably more focused on like the money that, I, that I've made for my software company. The, the real estate, especially with the Airbnb is a semi-long-term thing. I'm older. It's actually something, even though I own it with my son, and, and I should say my son's an only son, so he's going to inherit a lot of what I have anyway. So the real estate is just kind of a, a long-term thing. I, I will tell you that because we're doing Airbnbs, a house that would normally only rent for 1250 to maybe 1500 a month, is generating in cash that we get, you know, around three grand and, and some sometimes closer to four grand a, a month.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. So you've got a great software company. You've got this real estate, your house is paid for. I know you say you're old, but we know you're relatively young. Where do you go <laughs> from here? What's kind of the goal? Do you have a net worth goal? Do you have a passive income goal that you want to hit? Is there a number of rentals or Airbnbs you want to continue to accumulate or software? Where Where do you kind of go?
0: My software company is pretty passive at this point. I only, I only have to work on it maybe an hour, about an hour a day long term though, because you know, I'm, I'm 51. I don't know if I want to still be doing a software company at say 70. Although if it's an hour a day, it won't be that big of a deal, but there, there's probably a window to even how long my, my software company, because of the niche market that we're in, I don't even know what what that market's going to look like in 20 years. So I'm hyper-focused on taking chips off the table right now. And whether that's putting money into real estate or buying more VTI stock, I save our after-tax savings rate is at least 60% and maybe closer to, to, to 70%. So I'm really loading up the stocks. Cause the real estate kind of, it's on its own and, and takes care of itself at this point. Uh, so I have a goal. Uh, right now we have about a million dollars in, in VTI and my goal for age 65, which is roughly 13 years from now is to get that closer to about eight million. But because I have software company, like I, I, it all goes into VTI. So if the market goes up or down, it, it kind of doesn't matter. And I'm a big believer in the market going up over time. Yes, it has dips and yes, it can have some really big dips, but I'm a just a huge believer in, and, uh, especially the U S market over time that it is always going to go up over, over time. So at this point, I'm probably saving about 300 K per year in VTI. Is is what ends up getting getting saved in that, and that's close to sixty k in an SCP, and then the rest of that goes into uh, taxable accounts.
2: Awesome. Do your friends and and acquaintances know how well off you are?
0: No, uh, literally no one does. My my son is somewhat aware of where we're at, but other than that, my parents. My parents have both passed away they were they were just starting to see how good things were were kind of going, although you know they had no idea of net worth but my my current relatives you know they they know we're doing okay. they know that we've been working from our house for a long time and and that kind of stuff but no no nobody knows where we are money wise my neighbors don't know. We're very much the the millionaire next door even in our in our neighborhood and we're we're really in the prototypical neighborhood that was described in that book to where everybody's driving uh Mercedes or in, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar homes, a lot of attorneys, and I'm pretty sure, you know, they're all up to their uh eyeballs in debt and they have no idea that, you know, we're sitting here, everything's paid for and no, no, no one, no one knows. <laughs>
2: Has your spending habits changed as you've accumulated more wealth and as you've, you know, reduced your debt and paid off your house and everything?
0: Well, in a weird way, since I've been so focused on taking chips off the table and and just wanting to convert business assets into stock and real estate, in a in a weird way, my spending habits have got even a little more frugal. Although if anybody looked at us and saw the house we lived in, you know, we're, we're not frugal. I don't, I don't want to give the any, we're not lean fire or anything like that. Like we're not, we probably spend, you know, a hundred K a year, even with a paid for house. Um, so we're, we're fairly loose on our spending, but not super loose either. I mean, I don't, I've been working so much. Like I, I, I've taken two vacations in the last 15 years. And that is something we're getting ready. And the, my wife and I are going to start doing more vacations. And it's just gotten to a point to where we can finally do that. Not to be overly super negative, but we've been caring. My my parents passing away over the last five to six years. When my dad passed away in 2013, I've been caring for my mom the last five years. My wife had two grandparents that passed away. She spent a lot of time in Phoenix helping them pass we did a lot of stuff with you know even like hospice and like literally helping them pass and and all that kind of stuff so we've we've been real focused on our family the last few years as well which thankfully our, our money allowed us to even have time to to do that so so that's been a blessing but we're just now getting to where we're going to start spending more on on vacations and the, and the likes but we don't you know, my, my wife drives a, a Lexus. It's not super fancy, but it's, you know, it's paid for two years ago, two and a half years ago. I bought a used 2013 F 150 Platinum for about 32 K, you know, paid cash. It's paid for. I'm, I'm as happy as can be driving that. It's a really nice truck. I don't drive that much because again, we, we work from our house. When I do get out, that's what I drive an F 150.
3: Wow. So that answers a couple of these rapid fire questions, but I just want to ask you a few more here before we go in into mistakes and advice and, and kind of wrap it up. Yeah. So what's the most expensive pair of jeans or pants you've ever purchased?
0: I've paid over a hundred dollars and the jeans that I like cost about that much. I got them at the Neiman Marcus. It's called the, the rack store or something like that. It's like used, not used, but, uh, discounted Neiman Marcus. That's where I, cause I have trouble finding pants that I really like. So I found these jeans. They're, they're a little over a hundred dollars, but I have to tell you the last two pairs that I bought. I went looking for them on eBay just to see if anyone sold them. <laughs> and I, and I, I swear to God, I picked up a pair for $20 and a pair for 7 There you go.
3: All right. Uh, most expensive shoes?
0: Um, I'm a walker. You know, a few times a week, I try to, you know, walk a, you know, like a four-mile walk around the neighborhood kind of a thing. So I spend $80 or so for nice running shoes every, every now and then. Okay.
3: Most expensive car?
0: The Lexus, it's a hybrid 450, I think is the number. I can't remember the number, but paid, you know, 50, 55 K for that. We bought it used, but we paid cash for it. Um, So that that's the most expensive car. It's my wise, but generally I'm, I'm fine driving a a used $30,000 truck.
3: Okay. Most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for.
0: We don't really eat expensive meals. I mean, if I'm, 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 I'm just going to take a pass on that because we just don't eat. Oh, I will tell you. Okay. We don't eat out, but we have started trying to eat more. Uh, I'm, I'm not full blown vegan, but we've been trying to eat more meals that way. And there's a service company called Purple Carrot. It's $25 per meal, but they ship everything. We, we, we buy like four meals for them, uh, a week. So a hundred bucks a week. We get four meals sent to us or 25 bucks each. That's not something you do when you're when you're uber frugal, because that that's obviously a uh, a gift to be able to spend that kind of money. But but it's it's uh, really, really like if you want to start eating more vegetables, I can't recommend this kind of stuff uh, any higher because they they have a way of making that stuff taste really good. It's amazing.
3: (laughs) What item or items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you?
0: Well, we're getting ready to start taking more vacations and we don't plan on doing it cheaply. Like we have a, you know, we have a one week cruise scheduled coming up here in September. You know, we, you know, got a suite. We're not doing one of the cheaper rooms. So I I think that stuff is worth paying for once you've acquired some money. I would never spend that kind of money not, not doing it. But I have to tell you, the one thing that I enjoy spending money on now that I have it is flying first class. I still would never, I wouldn't, unless I was going to Hawaii, I wouldn't spend like $3,000 on a first class ticket. But if it's a difference between flying first class and paying 1000 or flying coach and spending, you know, 250 $300, i will spend that. And, and that's something for me that, that I enjoy spending up for. Okay.
3: What's your predicted retirement age and net worth, if you had to guess now? I think we kind of got into that a little bit earlier.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... I consider a semi retired now because we're only working an hour on the software company. We work on other stuff that we want to work on, which is children's books. So we're putting more hours into that, but that's just out of choice and enjoyment in terms of, I don't know if I'll ever be fully retired, but I'm definitely, I'm not killing myself at this point. And mainly we're just trying to get to a, you know, a, a net worth of x million you know five million at the at the lowest in like stock because i i plan on living long term i plan on living off a two to three percent withdrawal rate Not nothing no problems with the four percent but i'm just trying to be ultra conservative and with five to ten million dollars in stock that's you know a 100 to uh 300k uh, per year on a withdrawal rate
3: yeah Yeah, it kind of depends how big your top line is too right yeah so, what was your high school and college GPA, if you can remember?
0: <laughs> oh, uh, I don't remember exactly, but I'm I'm definitely the prototypical low B, high C. To I think my college average was like 2.8. But I worked full time uh, most of college. I worked full time through college for for what that's worth. Okay, how much do you spend a year?
3: Household spending?
0: Roughly, in round numbers, a hundred k.
3: Okay. Uh, any favorite books or websites or investing yeah. tools or anything that's kind of helped you along the way?
0: Yeah, for sure. On um, there's, there's a few things. I, I have the the typical books, which I'll I'll run down quick. You know, The Millionaire Next Door, Thomas J. Stanley. That was a really great book. Uh, How to Win Friends Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. In more recent years, because those are older books. Uh, more recent years, I enjoyed reading *The Simple Path to Wealth* by J. L. Collins. *Start with Why* by Simon Sinek is a really good book. Uh, another one that you may not have heard of is *Perennial Seller* by Ryan Holiday, and it just talks about creating something that that lasts. <laughs> um, other than than that, there's two more things I'd like to mention if you've never heard of it, but I, I want everybody to Google Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena. And it is just all about ignoring the critics and pursuing what it is that you're pursuing. And it is one of the most beautiful things that, uh, that I've ever read. Um, and I just recently heard about it about six months ago and, and passing, listening to, uh, Brene Brown talk, uh, do, do a speech on something, but Google Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the, re- the arena.
3: It looks like it's just a speech. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a subset of the speech. Uh, it's a subset of a full speech by, by Theodore Roosevelt. But, gotcha. Um, gotcha. but the subset, all you got to read is that. It is It is beautiful and powerful.
3: Awesome. So just wrapping up here you know, maybe a couple of minutes on any mistakes you've made and, and what advice you now give. You know, you kind of took a little bit different of a path than a lot of the people that we've had on this show in the sense that for 30 years or so, or I guess 20 years of your working life, you know, you didn't have much of a net worth and you weren't really, if you put it on paper, right, you weren't quite there. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. in the last six or seven years, it all started, it all started going together. And now you're at six to 10 million. And it happened mm-hmm. pretty quick. Right. I mean, obviously, you worked along the way and all those things helped you to get to where you are, but kind of took longer. Or maybe year after year, you didn't necessarily see your bank account and your investments building up. So what advice do you give to people and, and maybe what mistakes have you made or what would you do differently on, on your path?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, there's been there's been lots of mistakes. So the, the the one thing in terms of mistakes is try not to repeat your mistakes and try to learn from them. I had a lot of stuff that I tried over the years and a lot of stuff programming wise that I tried. And I only told you about one of the things that failed. There were two, three, four other things that failed uh, before I made this current thing work. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'm I'm sure you've heard the 10,000 hour rule from, you probably heard about it from Malcolm Gladwell, although I don't think he invented it, but he made it popular. But, um, I accidentally, uh, I use that term loosely, but I accidentally got in my 10,000 hours on really hard programming, trying to do other things. And it was all terrible in terms of the failures, but it made me a, a better programmer over all those years and trying to, to do different things. So learn from your mistakes. Don't repeat them. But yeah, God, I've made Lots of mistakes. Don't beat your don't beat yourself up for your mistakes. You know, definitely done dumb things with money, especially when I didn't have money. Um, I I did a number of dumb things with money. But you know, don't give up. Keep keep plugging away. Keep your life cheap. That's another thing I did for a very 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 long time. I lived really really cheaply i did some dumb things with my money during that time but in terms of how i lived i lived in a in a really cheap apartment and i just kept my expenses down for for many many years and that's really the only thing that saved me was keeping expenses uh cheap awesome
3: good for you so just in closing here tell us a little bit about your website maybe what you're up to there what you talk about and 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 what's new
0: website's mrhobomillionaire.com. If you don't want to spell all that that out, you can just type in com, and that will take you there. I share just a lot of the ups and downs and stuff I've learned throughout my life. I mean, there's just, there's so many stories and I just want to share them. I have a really big desire to help especially younger entrepreneurs, younger people getting started with money. I you asked me earlier, like, do do friends know that you have money and stuff? And and they don't. They know that we're okay. We've tried to give some advice to some people. And, like, you just see people doing the dumbest stuff with money. And you try to give them advice. And, and whether it's, you know, sending their kid to a college that they can't afford or, you know, buying a car they can't afford. Like, I just want to help people. I've got a crazy story for getting to where I'm at today, but it doesn't take all that craziness. You can work a normal job and save a normal amount of money and accumulate a great deal of money. More recently, I've been doing math because I told you about wanting to help younger people. I've started to have this concept of young people shouldn't, shouldn't between the age of 20 and 30, you should really work on either still living with your parents as long as you can. And figuring out a way to save like a thousand dollars a month instead of putting it out on rent or get roommates for 10 years, however you want to do it. But the math, if, if a 20 year old can save a thousand a month between the age of 20 and 30, compounded at the age of 30, you'll have about 200 grand. If you did nothing in terms of saving for the rest of your life and let that compound from the age of 30 to 65, you would have close to four to six million dollars from just that two hundred thousand of saving. And that's what I want to get across to people to make better decisions when you're younger. And and I want to tell my story and just but but I really, really want to help young people make better decisions because the reverse of that is what typically happens in our in our lives. We make a lot of really bad decisions in our twenties and they have profoundly long lasting effects.
3: Yeah, well, thanks for sharing. And it is, I agree with you, it is pretty remarkable once you kind of plug in those numbers and see even at a, a low return, you know, how big they get when you start at a young age. So, yes, pretty remarkable. Well, hey, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. That's Jeff from com. net worth of six to 10. Maybe we'll split the difference and, and call it 8 million. Thanks so much for coming
0: on the show today. Thank you, Jace. Thank you, Clark. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Jeff.